in our hearts as we look at your word. Lord, we give you thanks for it tonight. We give you praise. We believe that the prayers we prayed are answered because we agree together. And Lord, when we declare amen, we're saying so be it. And so tonight we thank you for these requests and for your answers. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. You know, the dirt's going to blow tomorrow, they say. I discovered about the weatherman, they're wrong a lot of the times, but never about the wind. They seem to always get that one right. You know, this is, I don't know, I think this is probably my favorite time of the year. I love the springtime. You know, we just celebrated the resurrection of Jesus a couple of weeks ago, and and now all everything's getting green and budding out. It's like everything is is celebrating the resurrection. I mean, for us, of course, every day is resurrection, right? We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus every single day. I love what Jesus said to Martha in John eleven twenty five. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Let me tell you something about the resurrection. It's not an event. It's a person. Jesus said, I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection. It's not an event. It's Jesus Christ. Then the Bible says this in Romans chapter 6. It says, Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism in the death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For we've been planted together in the likeness of his death. We shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. We have resurrection life living on the inside of us. I mean, that's the good news about the springtime, about Easter. It's that we have resurrection life. We live in the power of that resurrection. The only negative thing about resurrection is somebody has to die first. We get to die to ourselves. We get to die to the flesh. We get to die to those things, but we live a new life. We live in the power of his resurrection. In fact, later on in that chapter of Romans, uh, chapter 6, it says that, that sin shall not have dominion over us. We can grow in the, in the Lord so that sin doesn't have dominion over us. Doesn't mean we won't, it won't ever make a mistake again. It means it won't have dominion over us. And the reality is, we think about eternity, it certainly can't have dominion over us because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Man, I like that. Amen. We have eternity with him from now on. Now, we, in the past, we talked about the precious blood. Remember? We talked about the priceless blood of Jesus that paid for our sins. I mean, he did it once for all. He's brought us all from death to life. Man, I really, really, really like that. The scripture says that we've become new. In fact, he's made all things new. The Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That's a promise. I really like that. All things become new from the inside out. When we got born again, our spirit man became new. Do you realize that you're as saved as you'll ever be? On the inside, you are as saved as you will ever be. The Bible says that the outward man is decaying. The inward man is being renewed day by day. 
Every day on the inside, we get more new. Every day we get more refreshed on the inside because the inward man is renewed day by day. There's always that going on inside of us. It's from the inside out. I can tell you one of the ways to tell the difference between the devil and the Lord. The Lord works from the inside out. The devil works from the outside in. I mean, he will always try to come from the outside to get on the inside of you. The Lord is already on the inside of you. He just wants to get on the outside of you. He wants to work through you. He wants to work through. Hey, listen, our spirit is already is renewed, born again. I mean, it is as saved as saved can be. In fact, the scripture says, saved to the uttermost. We're that saved. Now what needs to happen is our soul needs to get saved to the uttermost. Our mind, our will, and our emotions. And then, and then I believe with all my heart, as we take the word of God through our soul, we feed our spirit, but at the same time it brings healing to our bodies. And it strengthens us and makes us well from the inside out. It all becomes new because Jesus was raised from the dead. And we talked about some things over the past few weeks. And we talked about that we live in perilous times. And we know that. I mean, things are going on in this world that we would have never dreamed of. I remember back in the 70s, who was it that wrote the book, The Late Great Planet Earth? Hal Lindsey. I remember reading the book in the 70s, The Late Great Planet Earth, and thinking there is no way that that could ever come to pass. But you know what? Everything he wrote in the book has already come to pass. I mean, many years ago, most of it came to pass. And we thought there's, we thought, there's no way that the, the society would be terrible with all of that going on. Well, it's happening right now. We live in perilous times. We need to have the courage in these days, according to 2 Timothy, to stay with God's word so we will be thoroughly furnished, totally supplied with whatever we need to live in perilous times. I believe, I believe Christians need to be living above the circumstances of the world. I believe we need to have the word of God in us And as we do, the world will come asking us, how is it that you're not being destroyed by this? How is it that you're surviving all of this? How can you still be happy? We need to know that we have victory over the devil. We have victory over the perilous times. We win. You know, somebody said, well, I know we win because I've read the end of the book. Can I tell you something? I know we win because I've read the middle of the book. (laughs) If you read the scriptures... God's covenant partners are prospered. God's covenant partners do well. God's covenant partners aren't cursed with the curse of the law or the curse of this world. The scripture says that you and I have the blessing of Abraham. And you read in in Genesis chapter 26 verse 1, the scripture says Abraham was blessed in all things. All things. We live, we should be living in victory in our lives. I remember one time when I was in, I think I was in the eighth grade, and we were going, we, you know, we, I was in band in junior high school, and I played, I played the cornet, not well, but better than everybody in the cornet section except for one guy, and he was like 30 times better than anybody. In fact, he went on to play, he, he played in this group after we got out of high school, he played in this group and traveled with Catherine Kuhlman all over the world, playing his trumpet wherever he went. But anyway, he... He, you know, we're, we're, in, we're in band, and it's in the summertime. We're getting ready for school to start. We're, you know, squawking on our instruments there in, in junior high school. And all of a sudden, this bug flies in the band room. 
you know, and so it's flying around, and, and you know, everybody's trying not to pay attention to it because the band director's banging on the, the deal. And finally, that bug got, was flying around so, so, so much that my friend Trey, he's the guy who was really good on the trumpet, he grabs his music, rolls it up, and he swaps it. And it falls on the ground, and he just stomped on it. And somebody, so, somebody, somebody looked over, and, and they said, they looked at it and said, it's a B. And he said, no, it's a B flat. <laughs> well, here's what the scripture says. The scripture says, I would have... I would have you well-versed and wise as to what is good and innocent and guiltless as to what is evil. And the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, be with you. He will be flat. <laughs> because he will be under our feet. Our focus has to be on the right place, on the Lord. We need to make sure that our focus is on what God has promised us, that our, our conversation is about what God has said. We don't need to be repeating all around what the devil's doing. We need to be, be talking about what is God doing? What is the Lord doing? I'll tell you, Tammy and I went to, to the deeper service on Wednesday night, and, and our, our new friend Chris that we prayed for a few minutes ago that had back surgery, we watched him get baptized. And I mean, that boy shot up out of the water. Yeah. He's a new man. I mean, he, I, we were so, it was like our own child was being baptized because we were so excited for him. Just because God has changed his life. And those are the things that we need to be talking about. Here's what the scripture says in Philippians 1.28. This is from the Amplified. I really like this verse. It says, and do not for a moment be frightened or intimidated in anything by your opponents and adversaries. For such constancy and fearlessness will be a clear sign, proof and seal to them of their impending destruction, but a sure token and evidence of your deliverance and salvation, and that from God. Yes. There's a lot to this. I just said a whole lot of stuff, but it said don't be frightened for a moment. Don't be intimidated for a moment. It says our constancy. Our standing on God's promise is a sure sign to the devil and his crew of their impending doom. It's a sure sign and evidence of us to us of our deliverance and our salvation that comes from God. That's what we ought to be doing. We ought to be lifting our heads up, not ducking down. We ought to be, we ought to be exciting. The scripture says that we are more than conquerors through him. Now, how can you be more than a conqueror? I heard an illustration one time. It said, you go to a boxing match, you know, the guy, you know, you go to the heavyweight match, and, 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 the, and the, the winner, you know, he knocks the other guy out, and he goes home with his big paycheck, and he gets home, he says, honey, I, I just won the match, and I got this big paycheck, and she snatches it out of his hand, and she said, I'll take care of that. She was more than a conqueror. <laughs> he was the conqueror, and she was more than a conqueror. Listen, we need, to be, we need to be living with God, understanding that our salvation is more than just getting healed, more than just getting delivered. But I'll tell you, we need to make it the goal in our life to make the devil eat it for the rest of the time we're on this planet. Through our testimony, through our confidence, through our standing for God, I mean, we ought to just make him miserable from now on. Here's what I want. I want when I wake up in the morning and put my feet on the ground, I want the devil to look at everybody else and say, oh, crud, he's awake again. 
I want that to be what happens when all of us take God's word and stand on what he says. Man, we need to know that Jesus is alive. He will do what he says he will do. We simply need to take his word and operate it the way he said it. A lot of people say, well, the Bible's just too hard to understand. We just need to take it one verse at a time, begin to meditate it, and I promise you, the Holy Spirit will explain things to you. He will show you things. Now, you need to discuss it with people sometimes. Because I've heard people say flaky stuff that they say is in the Bible. And they try to connect A to, to D over here, and they don't go together yet. We need to make sure, though, that we spend time in the Word. We meditate in what God is saying. And I'll tell you, that's going to bring victory. The Scripture says this. It says, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Where does faith come from? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. As we hear the Word, and I'll tell you, the best source for hearing is your mouth. You begin to speak His Word. You begin to meditate. Meditating is to mutter, to utter, to speak to yourself over and over again. When we meditate in the Word of God, we say it over and over. We hear it with our outer ear and our inner ear, and we hear it. Faith rises up inside of us, and that is the victory that overcomes the world. That's why God told Joshua. He said, don't let this word depart from your mouth. You keep saying it. You keep speaking. He said, that you may be able to observe to do it. As we begin to keep it in our mouth, ultimately, we'll be able to do what it says. And he says, and then you'll prosper in everything that you do. But that's taking the word, being faithful to it. A lot of people say, well, I don't have time for the Bible. Can I tell you something? You don't have, you don't, you don't have time to not have the Bible. Because it's the word bringing that faith that's going to cause us to rise up and do what God's called us to do. Now let me read. This is from Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Listen to what this says. The Bible says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Now we've been reading verse 28 the last several weeks, but I wanted to get to two verses before that. These verses follow a discussion in Romans 8 about how that we must be led by the Spirit. Talking about the sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. It goes on to talk about the world is groaning and prevailing in pain. The world is getting old. It's getting ready to be retired. In the last days, we understand, eventually God is going to come. Jesus is going to return. We're going to go to heaven. There's going to be that great tribulation here on the earth. And then he's going to come again. He's going to set foot on the mount. And I mean, everybody in the world is going to see that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. After that, he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth because this earth is just ready to die. You realize everything around us is decaying, right? Except... The inner man that's being renewed day by day. I mean, the body is getting older. The world is getting old. But, but he's going to come back. They're groaning. They're, 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 the Bible says the world is eagerly 
waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. The world needs to see Christians. The world needs to see Christians who walk in victory. And then it says that we're saved. The word saved is the Greek word sozo, which means delivered, rescued, made whole, and made well. It says we're saved by our hope. The word hope in the Greek means the anticipation of pleasure. It means anticipation, expectation, or confidence. We're saved by our hope, by, by anticipating eternity with Jesus. But I want you, I'm going to go back to this verse again. Verse 26, and you, you've heard this many times. It says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. This is a great passage of Scripture. The way that hope stays active is as we commune with the Holy Spirit as we pray in the Spirit. The Spirit partners with us as we take hold of the situations with him, and he pulls us out of a trap. Let me tell you, let me tell you how I got to that, that conclusion. It says, it says, likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. Helpeth. The word help literally means partnership with another. It means working with another as partners on the same job. The scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians 6.1 that we are co-laborers with God. In other words, we are partners. It's that same word. We are partners. The Holy Spirit is, comes to help us. He comes to partner with us. Somehow, a lot of Christians have this idea that, that God will do everything and we can sit on the couch and watch TV. <laughs> or we can do whatever we want to do and God will take care of everything else. We need to understand that he wants to partner with us. The scripture had, the word here has to do with partners working together or laying hold on something together against something that's pushing against them. Partners together. It says the Spirit helps our infirmities, our partners with us as we push against infirmities. The word infirmity doesn't mean sickness, it means weakness or that which is trying to overwhelm us. Okay, I love it. It says that the Holy Spirit, he partners with us. Because we don't know, we don't even know what to say when we pray. He comes in partners with us. It says, but the Spirit makes intercession. This is the only time this Greek, particular Greek word is used in the scripture. It's actually three Greek words that make one Greek word. And it literally means this, to fall in on behalf of someone else. The Holy Spirit makes intercession. He falls in on the behalf of us. The word carries the idea of someone who comes upon someone else who's fallen into a pit or some sort of quandary, and then once they've discovered that person that's trapped, they swiftly swing into action to rescue and deliver the one who's in trouble. Now that's the attitude of the Holy Spirit. In other words, he's talking about a rescue mission. The Holy Spirit, when we, when we partner with him, and we begin to pray, let him pray through us, and he begins to utter those words that, that, that no one can understand. He prays through us, and then the, his intercession begins to go out, and all of a sudden the rescue mission that he's planned for our deliverance begins to be prayed and carried out. And that's what he intends to do. 
The Holy Spirit sees us. He sees we're at a loss for words in prayer. I mean, sometimes you go through stuff and you just don't even know what to pray because it's either so bad or, or you don't understand it. And he partners with us. It's the praying in the spirit that is pushing against the force of the enemy. And as we begin to do that, then he goes on a rescue mission to deliver us and pull us out of it. Now, that's pretty good news. That'll make you want to pray in the spirit a lot more, it seems to me like. If I know that when I'm praying in the spirit, he and I are pushing against it. By the way, he can push a lot harder than I can. He has a lot more strength than I do. But we partner together. And, and, and instead of complaining about the situation, I need to call the partner so he can come to work and so we can do what we're supposed to do. The Holy Spirit feels everything we feel. He knows what's going on. He understands the, the inadequacy we experience sometimes. He knows the battle we face. He's, he willingly joins us. And together, he puts the supernatural plan of escape and rescue into operation. Isn't that pretty? That's good, I think. I mean, it's operational when we work together with him, praying in the spirit. Praying the perfect will and the perfect plan of God. And we can be sure that if we're partnering with the Holy Spirit, that everything will work together for our good. We can be positive that that's what's going to happen for us. And I know my time is already up, but let me, let me give me five more minutes here. She got started, didn't she? I know. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. You know, even people who don't read the Bible know that verse. I mean, I've talked to people and they say, well, we may not understand it now, but all things work together for good. That's where they stop. They don't say the rest of that verse. You're exactly right. But that's what all, all, all things work together for good. That simply is not a true statement taken out of the context of what it says. It's true in the context of working together with the Spirit, Him bringing the plan and the rescue about, and when that happens, all things will work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. I heard somebody say, well, you know, I just believe everything happens for a reason. I'm thinking, well, some things happen because people are just stupid. I mean, that's the reason. You know, John Wayne, John Wayne one time said, he said, life is hard. It's harder when you're stupid. <laughs> things do happen for a reason but sometimes the reason they happen is not a good reason it's because, it's, it's because people just do ignorant things and I'll tell you if you don't know God and you don't have him leading your life your chances of making more mistakes more often are much greater I'm not saying we're, we're going to be perfect but I'm saying this we can know God, and it can work out for good. The devil hates us. You know why he hates us, don't you? Because every time he sees us, he thinks he, he sees Jesus. The devil wanted to be the one to sit at the right hand of the Father. He is so mad at Jesus, and when he sees us, all he can see is Jesus. He hates us. But you know what? That's too bad for him. Well, you better not talk bad about the devil because he might get mad. 
The scripture says he's already full of wrath. Can't get any fuller than full. <laughs> but we overcome him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony, and we don't love our lives to the death. In other words, we love God more. We love him with everything we have. I tell you, it does work out together for good. It does when we love God. Listen, when we love God, we give him access to all of our affairs, and he makes it work together for good. He makes it happen for us. Yeah, but I don't know if I want to wait for that to happen. I don't know if I, I, don't know if I have that kind of time. Well, the scripture says to let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. You've heard people say this a lot. Well, don't pray for patience because you might get it. The word patience in the Greek doesn't mean to wait and do nothing. The word patient in the Greek literally means consistency and constancy. It means to be consistent and be constant. When the trial comes, patience means I stay in the same faith that I had when times were good. I stay with the same confidence that I had when everything was going my way. I stay the same. In other words, I'm not intimidated for a minute. Because when my constancy is a sure sign to the devil that he's lost. And when I stay that way, when I employ, when it says, when it says, when it says let it have a perfect work, that means to employ it. I employ this constancy. I will be perfect. The word perfect means complete. And it says I will be entire, which means whole, and I will lack nothing. And everything works together for good to those that love God, to the called according to his purpose. Let me get down here to this. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 19, verse 16, it says, and behold, one came to him, to Jesus, and said unto him, Good Master, what things shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. And the kid says, he said unto him, Which? What commandments? Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And the young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. Right. Right. He's never broken one of those. <laughs> you know that's not true. He said, What lack I yet? Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect or complete, Go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus went to his disciples and said, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter the kingdom of heaven. In, 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 in uh, uh, Mark's gospel it says, those that trust in riches. It's not just having money, it's trusting in the money. It says, and again, I say unto you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed and said, well, who can be saved? See, they thought that if you had money, that made God like you. Jesus, but Jesus beheld them and said unto them, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. You know, in the scripture, Jesus never took credit for one miracle. 
He never took credit for one healing. He never said, look what I did. He always gave credit to the Father because he was totally submitted to the Father. He said, I can do nothing in myself. I only do what I see the Father do. I only say what I hear the Father say. We need to recognize, he said to us, apart from me, you can do nothing. The young man comes to Jesus. We refer to this young man as the rich young ruler because in, in other Gospels we find, we find out that he's rich. Right? He said, Jesus said, if you will be complete, if you want to go all the way with God, the kid comes and he says, what do I have to do? Basically, this is, this is my paraphrase. What is the minimum that I have to do <laughs> to get to go to heaven? And Jesus said, if you want to go all the way with God. Now, they were talking about two different things here. If you want to go all the way with God. He said, he said you have to keep the commandments. He goes, which ones? Like, Jesus could have simplified it and just said all of them. But it's interesting, Jesus picked only the commandments that had to do with man, dealing with man. Do you notice that? He only picked the ones of man dealing with man. Because those are the ones that everybody can see. He didn't, he, Jesus didn't pick the ones that had to do with man dealing with God. Like no other gods before me. Like not having a graven image. Jesus didn't talk about those. He talked about those that everybody could see. And the young man's like, oh yeah, I've done those. Because nobody could say he hadn't. But here, Jesus didn't say those about, about dealing with God. And then Jesus, oh, I, he, Jesus is so smart. <laughs> he basically says this to the kid. He says, well, that's really good. But here's, here's the thing. If you want to go all the way with God, you're going to have to make him number one in your life and go sell everything you have. Because that's going to be the proof as to whether God's number one in his life. He had riches, but he trusted the riches. He loved the riches more than he loved God. Jesus would say the same thing to you and me tonight. He would say, whatever you have in your life that you love more than God, get rid of it. Get it out of your life and let God be number one. That's when everything's going to work together for good to those that love God. Obviously, this kid hadn't been around Jesus very much. Because you know what would have happened if he would have given everything he had away and walked with Jesus? Oh, my goodness. It would have been multiplied back to him. The scripture, Jesus said, it will be multiplied back to you in this life. With persecution. <laughs> if you have enough money, you can take the persecution, right? <laughs> Jesus wasn't, wasn't, he didn't care about the guy's money. All he cared about was his heart. All he wanted was to get his heart. You see, being his disciple means loving him more than anything else. More than all else combined. Loving him with everything we had. See, the young man thought maybe he wanted to go all the way with Jesus. Maybe, if it was easy enough. But he loved, trusted in money more than Jesus. If we're going to love God, we've got to make God number one in our lives. And I know that's easy for me to say and hard for us to do. The problem wasn't his money. It was his heart. 
where our treasure is, that's where our heart's going to be. That's where we have to be. His treasure was in his possessions, and that's where his heart remained, to the exclusion of Jesus himself. He didn't want to go all the way. It's easy to say, I love God, when we're in this room. And I think we do love God. But we face junctures all the way through our lives when we have to lay things down and love Him more. That's when it's all going to work together for good. And I'll close with this passage of Scripture. Matthew 9, 13, verse 44. Jesus said again, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth a field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. I love it. It says, it says he found the treasure, he hid it, and for joy he sold everything else. For joy. Listen, when we love God more than anything else, for joy we will forsake everything else. Because there's nothing better than him. Nothing better than him. There's nothing better than him. Man, it's easy to part with your money. It's easy to go to church and somebody's sitting in your chair and you still be happy when you love God. <laughs> it doesn't ruin your day. When you're going to church on the rock and you can't find a place to park that's close to the door and the wind's blowing 60 miles an hour. <laughs> Had this young man, if he if he had had if he had had vision of who he was talking to and what Jesus offered him, Jesus was getting ready to make a baker's dozen here. He offered this kid the same thing he offered Peter and James and John. He offered him a place of discipleship, invited him to be his disciple. Mm. I mean, that young man, he should have said, "You wait, wait, you mean I get to follow you? Yeah, I'll get rid of everything. Because it wasn't even close. But the young man went away sorrowful. We need to know this. We want to love God more than anything else. I think about the story when God came to Abraham. He said, this again is my paraphrase. He says, Abraham... I want you to offer your son Isaac as a sacrifice on the altar. When you read that story, you find there is not one hint of hesitation with Abraham. It's like he said, okay, if that's what you want, you promised him to me, that means you have to resurrect him, so boy, let's go. They got up early the next morning, and Abraham went to the Mount of Moriah where he took his son and was getting ready to slay him without hesitation because he loved God more. That's why it went well with Abraham. That's why Abraham was blessed in all things because he was a man who learned to love God. He loved God. He was willing, he was willing to lay it all down for God. I'm going to tell you something. 
I can live without anything, but I can't live without Jesus. There is no life apart from him. I mean, we can live through anything if we simply love God. He is all that matters. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, tonight, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for what you have said to us. And I thank you, Lord. Your word says this. It says, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Because, Jesus, you expressed the love of God and gave yourself away to us, now your love is shed abroad in our hearts, and we're able to return the love to you. Lord, not just knowing about you, but having relationship with you so we can know you intimately. Father, we thank you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Any question or comment? Do you want us to go in the kitchen for communion? Do you want us to go in the kitchen for communion? I don't think we need to. We need to do it in here. Do you want us to go in the kitchen for communion?